0: Hello.
1: Well, good evening, Graham. I'm sorry for the delay. It's technology is threatening. It's not even snowing yet to complicate matters. Um, Firstly, just a health report. How are you feeling?
0: Pretty shocking. Not as bad as it was on Tuesday when I got sent home I mean, you
1: from got, work, but uh, not good. I, I was curious because you got sent home from work, Now, of course, in the modern era where everyone works from home, it'd be quite interesting to be sent home from work when you were already at home. So, you'd be sent from home to home.
0: Well, no, because my connectivity at work is is rubbish, so I can't really work at home. And also, I, I can't really work mm. just on a laptop. I need the screen and the keyboard and the mouse oh, yeah. and blah, blah blah blah. It's it's yeah. all a big hassle, and also. There's no point in being a Harrogate journalist writing about Harrogate and sitting in your little spare room in your little cul-de-sac. That
1: Do makes you know, no sense you know, whatsoever. Anyone would think you want to be a journalist in in, in the proper tradition of going out seeing people. That'll never... That'll, yeah, no, that,
0: it's you
1: know. still old school. <laughs> it certainly is. Now... Good evening. Why am I coughing? Don't know. Now, Fairport con- you've had a Fairport convention with Fairport Convention. What, Simon Nickel or someone else?
0: No, Simon Nickel, the guitar player, is the last founding member still in the yes, band. He exactly. joined in 67 when yeah. he was just 16 years old, along with Richard Thompson and yeah. Ashley Hutchins And the Fairport Convention, as you know, legendary folk rock band. They're still touring mm. and they're yeah. coming to Harrogate in early February.
1: Where are they playing this time?
0: So, uh, they're all Hall and Harrogate, so they're still, it's a big venue, so mm. they're still impressively doing well. But uh, and even the fun, thanks to the Harrogate advertiser, yeah. And uh, he, he was a great bloke, but I think he got the wrong to the stick when I was interviewing him.
1: <laughs> that never, Graham, has happened with you with anybody I can think of. So, in well, the case of was... how did you manage to upset him? Sorry, how did you manage it's easy to for upset you to him? Say, Charles. And I don't know what's going wrong. I, I'm actually—I'm well, far, I'm, I'm far better than I've been. So I have no idea where I'm getting this tickling cough.
0: Mm. He was a very chatty fellow. You, you would yeah. think, you know, he was a young guy, but because he's very chatty, he didn't wait for you to finish your questions. So I had a long, <sighs> ambling question early on, in which I referenced the like Bootleg Beatles, who I've interviewed all that John Lennons have ever had. Mm. Now the Bootleg like Beatles are still going strong, having formed in 1980. But they have mm. no original members. I was going to no. cross-reference that to Fearful Intervention, how you can still be a great band and still keep going without hardly any original members. But he didn't let yeah. me get to that point. So then he started talking about how Fearpoint Convention weren't tribute band. <laughs> 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 and I thought, I never, I never said you were a tribute band, but he oh, hadn't dear. given me the chance to get to that yeah. point in the question. So it, it, it went well. He said it was a good interview at the end of it. He said it was really enjoyable, etc., etc., etc. I well, think the message. I, I kept wondering why he was going about tribute bands, then I realised because it was, you hmm. did a long-winded question. Fatal
1: thing in journalism to ask a long-winded question, of which I'm often guilty. And what tends to happen at the end of it is someone goes, yep. yes, that was a really good point. I should have put it that way myself." And you got to, you got to. You'd think after all these years of journalism, I would remember to keep questions short.
0: Well, no, because I refuse to like you know knuckle down, buckle down, and ask obvious questions. You you never get me doing that. So I'm not going to do that. It's just that. When you've got someone who's bright and articulate like Simon Nicol, mm. <laughs> he just doesn't wait for you to get to the point. So he, so he leaps in, which makes for a good interview. But on this occasion, he got the wrong mistake. But got he the was a great mistake. bloke in there. Mm. At one, one point, he said, like, you know, we're, we've never been slaves to our past in fearful convention. And then he paused and says, and it helps, we never had any hits, <laughs> which I thought was a good line.
1: Who, who is with him in the current lineup? that we might know.
0: Well, it's, 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 most of the band are quite stable. I think most of the band's have been there for like at least 15 years. But, yes. but mm. on the tour coming up, because the drummer uh, just recently left the band, he's got Dave Mattox back, who, of course, yeah. joined Fairbrook Convention in 1969, so he's almost yeah. original. Exactly. So, so there'll be mm. two almost originals in the current lineup of Fairbrook Convention mm. touring live.
1: mm, mm.
0: Now, um
1: Now, they run their own festival of course as well, don't they? Um crop ready, Property, yeah. Hmm. Crop ready, is that how it's pronounced, not crop ready, yeah. Which is an instruction no, to no. farmers. Crop crop ready, <laughs> no no, no, I'm crop ready. ready, start, start yeah. bailing. Yes. <laughs> start thrashing.
0: It, it, ready festival.
1: <laughs> <laughs> which um I mean it, it, it it's as it's as successful as a festival can be within that folk world. Uh, and I don't mean that in a in a in a negative way either because actually you know that we've seen just how successful kate rusby's festival up here under the stars has become there's a definite and we know the long-running cambridge folk festival this is there's a there's a great following for, for this so it and, and of course it's fair to say probably actually their festival's got the greatest of all the followings in the folk world
0: well it helps that they've always had quite catholic taste. i mean yes the band itself was always quite open to change and Mm. Open to new ideas and open to different forms of music, so they've never been a straight folk band, and hence no. that helps the festival itself.
1: Well, they're often credited with creating. I
0: mean,
1: did you talk to him about you know because they're associated with with in many ways creating folk rock, a sort of genre within folk. Did Did you chat to him about that?
0: Well, no, because they've constantly evolved, and if you listen to their nineteen sixties albums, all of which mm. are highly regarded, the early seventies ones, yeah. No no two albums sound the same. So no. I, I know he says they invented folk rock, which is partly true, but they didn't invent one sound. In fact, he, he agreed with me that the reason they were still going strong after all these decades is because they don't stand for one thing. They don't represent yes. one sound. Mm. So to call them folk rocks, almost like to underestimate them, really.
1: Yes, it, it, it's to pigeonhole in a too simple way. And while on the subject exactly. of, of uh, folk musicians, I interviewed John Bowden, uh, John, of course, recently oh, yeah. played with Bellowhead yeah. at uh, uh, at the Harrogate Convention Centre, the 10th anniversary uh, uh, tour that they did. And uh, at this time, uh, he's p- going to be playing with the Remnant Kings, and they're going to be playing mm. at the Wardrobe in Leeds. And he's done a series of post-apocalyptic albums, uh, the third of which, Last Mile Home, came out last year. But part of it is to look at the thought of Songs that would survive an apocalypse, so songs <laughs> that are strong enough, the kind of kryptonite factor that they would actually survive, but he also points out actually the real meaning of apocalypse if one looks in the bible uh, it is a revelation, and it is to pull the lid off something and then to yeah. reveal something new, so maybe oh. what he's saying with these songs is that they they would in fact be shown in some kind of new light if the apocalypse were ever to happen. But it got me thinking, Graham, can you think of songs that would survive any apocalypse?
0: I would so, suggest going underground. <laughs> that's an by the excellent...
1: I like now, Now, you see, that lateral thinking, but but spot on.
0: Well, I, I think that if, if there truly was an apocalypse in the uh, accepted sense the word rather than original meaning, yes. I think the last thing that would actually matter for quite a long time was music. I mean, I'm sure it would come back eventually, but uh, I think it'd be a hell of a situation. I don't think I don't think box sets would mean, matter anymore. Yeah, I,
1: I, I, when it comes to what would you save in an Apocalypse? Well, you don't have time to save anything because you're you're, you're, a, you're a goner. However, Graham, gonna, I think I'm music would, what, music we're, would we're survive.
0: Get time, but I'm going to save the Revolver Remixed version.
1: We are innately musical as a species. So music would survive in yes. some form, surely. It would just start again if necessary. Yeah, but
0: once, you could actually, yeah, once, once people could feed themselves on that and get shelter, etc., I'm sure they'd start the music again. Yeah, know. I, I
1: realise the priority is not to learn a Jimi Hendrix riff as soon as you've survived yeah. the apocalypse. I get that.
0: Yeah, on the plus side of any apocalypse, there'd be probably no more Ed Sheeran, which would obviously be good.
1: Graham, um, um, you, you know, you, he gets mentioned ever so often and in unexpected ways. Sometimes you give him a bit of grace. More <laughs> often than not, you just yeah. make cheap jokes at his expense.
0: They are these are cheap jokes. You're right. I would, remi- jokes. I would
1: remind you that he is not the biggest ginger-selling artist of the moment.
0: I am definitely not anti gingerist The colour of his hair is relevant to me. I just don't like his. I, I, much, I, are, are I'm just
1: merely pointing out that um, I thought there were going to be loads of spare copies of Spare, but it turns out to be in a huge hit, the uh, gingerist book.
0: Well, yeah, he sounds like he's telling as close to the truth as you could possibly tell by mm. someone who's been so they're all family. So mm. I'm sure it makes interesting reading, but it's a bit like they're, they're all family doesn't really work if it's open and honest because it's about mystery and power. Yes. So there needs to be a bit of cloak across it for it to work. So well, I admire the fact he's willing to be this open, it's not, not going to do him or the Royal Family any good. Not, not. not. that he has to do the Royal Family any good. I mean, if he wants to, like, just cause trouble, it's totally up to him. But uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to knock him, but at the end of the day, I, do, I don't see where this is going, really.
1: No, but we've seen, you know, we were talking only last week about rock biographies, and mm. uh, this this is a, a different a biography that's rocking in a different way, and uh, and maybe some rock and roll behaviour within it.
0: I think if Harry had got Barbara Sharon, who wrote that excellent book "Access All Areas" that we talked yes. about recently, to write his autobiography, I think he would have be been in trouble. <laughs> I think he'd just be, <laughs> be a nice little spoiler.
1: Absolutely. Now, Graham. Um, lo and behold, last last time we, uh, after our Chris Helm special, a week before we were looking at uh, Terry Hall's passing, and um, we're getting we're getting quite on a, a quite a list of uh, of. Deaths already uh, in the early pages of this year, of which obviously Jeff Beck, who last his last gig in England that he that he played, he did go on and play elsewhere. Of course, was here in York at the Barbican when was he it? played with. Uh, who did he play with, Graham? A little quiz for you. Who did he play with?
0: I don't know because I'm not a massive Jeff Beck fan. I'm, not, I'm nothing against him, but I wasn't a huge. No, wasn't interested. But with? it was of course
1: it? the it was the tour with Johnny Depp uh, uh, straight after his. Uh, you know, after his court case and uh so johnny I mean depp the, played the Russell, vampires played your say again oh. say again graham but
0: nothing to do with, was it the Hollywood vampires Johnny Depp's rock band well no
1: no it was Jeff Beck's band and uh oh. and, uh, and uh, so I think um Johnny Depp joined us for as many as eight songs per night at the gigs but the last of which in the last of which in Britain was at York Barbican. Um, but Graham, That's you want to uh, mention in passing well a couple of desks, obviously Lisa Marie Presley uh, passing, and then one of the Backmans. Now there's two there's two R backmans. There's a there's Robbie and there's Te- Randy. There's technically there's three. Are
0: they all Yeah, all three members have at one point been a member of the Backman Turnover Drive Band, the Canadian yeah. Rock Band. It's Robbie, that, it's Robbie
1: that's passed away, isn't it? This, yeah, this the, drum, the
0: drummer has died, and, you know, they're most famous for You Ain't See Nothing Yet, that, that mm. big 1974 hit single, mm. which I remember the singles charts then as being appallingly bad in general. I remember thinking like, oh, You Ain't See Nothing Yet, that's a good track.
1: Mm. In a
0: sea of, light, middle of the road tosh at the time. And, of course, Smashing Nicey, played by uh, Harry Enfield, and Paul <laughs> Whitehouse. They were always playing You Ain't See Nothing That yet. was their anthem. <laughs> yeah. But sadly, well, the drummer dead. It basically mm. means that BTO just become TO.
1: But, but, so has Randy died already then, the lead singer and guitarist? Is he or, already already well, gone?
0: Very, very good point. I suppose since Randy's there, it still remains BTO. You're right. And I'm sure there's a third back. What happened, we'll we'll have to
1: look them. it up. But, but Randy, obviously lead singer and songwriter. Um. Yeah, I mean, maybe people would be quick to call them one hit wonder, but they were one big hit and it was a heck of a wonder of a song. It stood out in its own way because they they came from, we didn't know them at all as a band. We knew nothing about them. No history. And they came up with a top two hit in in, in You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. Sadly, it never really lived up to that. That was the moment. You ain't seen nothing yet. Well actually, well, they're, they're, yes you have, because nothing to, ever ma- yeah. nothing ever matched it. Nothing ever matched
0: it. Like, except in America, they, they had quite a few hit singles in America, but in Britain. Yeah, that not was over drawn, here. Not over here. Glory. You're right, you're right. You, you have seen something, and that was it. Pretty much over here. Now, mm. yeah. Um
1: when we know we're getting old, Graham, when not only Elvis has died, but now, bless him, his one um, his one child, Lisa Marie has died too. That's a sign of us all getting older, isn't it? Bless
0: her, Lisa Marie's passed away now. That is terrible. I mean, that really makes you feel old, I'll tell you. It does, it does. Yeah. She was quite a successful musician of herself, especially in America, had had genuine hits, and mm. was quite highly rated, although she only did three albums. But mm. she's probably more famous for uh, marrying Michael Jackson briefly, Michael Mar- and then, exactly. then more briefly marrying Nicholas Cage, the actor, which turned out to be... <laughs> a bit of a disaster
1: that turned out to be an uncaged moment. At one point, Michael Jackson owned the Beatles catalog, the Michael Jackson catalog, and the Elvis Presley catalog. I think, and when he married Lisa Marie Presley, would that be right that he had he had all three somehow? under I might be wrong there, because he had he bought the Beatles, didn't he?
0: Well, yeah. So he's bought he's bought the Beatles and he's married a Presley. So he's, he's married he's, a Presley. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot there, isn't he? He certainly has. But we we were actually, and this is not meant to be funny. It's not meant to be some no. sort of joke that Frankie Boyle would tell, tell, in terrible taste. But we have been inside Lisa Marie Presley, haven't we? Uh,
1: well, we have been to Graceland. I think we need to explain. That.
0: Yeah, yeah. But the, the, we were time... inside the plane. And what was the plane called? What was Elvis's tour plane called?
1: Oh yes, it was. It was Lisa called Lisa Marie it was, Presley. It was called Lisa Marie Presley. This is this yes, is true. So we and true. And of course, by the time that we went to Graceland, uh, the estate was in her was in her control and, and her hands, wasn't it? So uh, in yeah, two ways. Yeah. Um, graphic as your image was there, Graham, and maybe a little unnecessary. Um, completely, but...
0: completely awful. Not, not even slightly what, what you
1: By the way, this is very much tangential. What was your favourite room at Graceland?
0: Well, the jungle room was great, wasn't it?
1: That was the one. That was the room, yeah. wasn't it?
0: <laughs> it was so tacky. But it's sort of like the sort of place you like to have a few drinks and music on the jukebox. <laughs> it was but it's quite small as well. The amazing it, thing it, that, was is, the that was the a surprise. The rooms are all small. Yeah. There's not yeah. a single big room, really, in Graceland.
1: No. But, but all the television's in the one room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, was people. easily
0: bored, obviously, wasn't he?
1: Easily bored. Easily bored. Now, Graham, um, we've got a more serious discussion point tonight, um, which is the new book on the Russian civil war by anthony beaver um when it comes to starting a year with some light reading and something <laughs> entertaining no graham's gone gone in deep i mean there's a, there's a russian war that's troubling rather more of us at the moment graham than the russian civil war but i'm just wondering yeah, what you persuaded that, you to I mean, think that. maybe maybe that's what what's nudged you into looking at the civil war what on earth has well, made you want to read about this
0: well first of all Antony beaver is like one of the world's biggest selling historians because he managed yes. to combine fresh research, a great marshalling of information, but also he yes. humanises the whole thing. It all gets down to the brass tacks of what was like mm. to be a soldier or mm. a civilian, etc., etc. So I've read all these books like Stalingrad, Berlin, D-Day, yeah. St. War, yeah. Arden, Iron on the Battle for the Bridges. Everyone's every a best-seller. He's a great, great writer. So mm. obviously I was looking forward to Russia, Revolution and Civil War 1917 to 1921, yes. which is published by Wiedenfeld. Atfield and Nicholson, mm. and noticed some stra- a strange development in this book, which he'd never previously had, although there were signs in the Arden book. There's a lot of emotion in his writing, and normally is a well-educated story, and he's quite dispassionate. And this book is, quite frankly, a bloodbath. It's, you know, I've only read about 170, 190 pages, and it's just mm. like page after page of Brutal atrocities on all sides, you know, the, the white Russians, the red Russians, mm. Bolsheviks, the non Bolsheviks, the Cossacks, the non Cossacks, mm. mm. the whole lot of them just doing barbaric things to each other the whole time. And it's, uh, it's almost like it's like it's his Ukraine war book where he's trying to yes. mm. highlight how barbaric the Russians are. But it probably can't be the case because he must have started writing this before the Ukraine war started. Yes. Yeah you don't bash out a book like this in, no. in a year or so. But it does read like he just is disgusted with the barbarity of the Russians. That's, that's mm. how the book comes across.
1: Plus, That is what continues It's also show. very
0: anti- mm. Well, you, if you read this book, you'd be shocked. I mean, I, I knew having read previous books and mm. having done Russian history at university. Edinburgh, university, yes. yes. You oh. know, they're, they're, quite, they're quite a tough, brutal, brutal nation throughout their history. But this mm, book no, is just—it's yeah. just unbelievably bad. I mean, all the all their gratuitous violence the whole time is quite staggering. But he's also very, very anti-Bolshevik and anti-Lenin in this book, which again is a bit unbalanced because if you look at the behavior of all the other sides in the mm. Russian Revolution, the Russian Civil War, mm. they were all equally unprincipled, all equally deceitful, all equally, dic- you know, dictatorial. All equally undemocratic, all equally violent. Yeah. For some reason, he seems to blame Lenin for this whole situation. And as a man who's read a lot about Lenin in the past, mm. uh, there's no way you can blame the whole scenario on on no. one man or, or one no. particular party. It was it was a it was a whole gigantic mess on all sides. Mm. So far be it for me to like disparage someone who's much better educated than me and he's a top seller and a great historian. But uh, mm. so far, I, th- I think he's, like, going up, going off track. What would you put that down to, Graham? Emotion. He's, he's, he's gotten emotionally involved in this book. And no, I know and that, that because of his... No, that's
1: interesting, isn't it? I mean, a historian... I mean, here's a generalisation, but we're used to history books being more dispassionate than that, aren't we? That is... I'm not saying taking a neutral position, but um, to be written with dispassion is often is often more likely. And this is something that differs from writing a biography or an autobiography, um, or maybe looking at a, 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 um, a, a controversial figure. This is an entire war that's being looked at, and the convention there would be to write in a dispassionate way.
0: Well, yeah, he's quite dispassionate in his, his much earlier book about the Spanish Civil War. Mm. I, th- I think what's happened is it, it, in his Arden book, which is his most recent book before Russia's Civil War, in mm. Arnhem he's very, very negative about uh, British generals and the top British officer class and the way that they led their troops to an inevitable slaughter yeah, in Operation Market Garden.
1: Yeah. And he's
0: clearly, when I talked to him on the phone, when he interviewed for that book, he was he was completely against Brexit, although he wouldn't say that on the recommended interview. And he was clearly, he's clearly got his own opinions on things, mm. and he's clearly anti-war as as anybody right person would be. Exactly. So he, he, exactly. so he's just let that general well-intentioned feeling seep into his writing in this book. But I haven't read the whole thing, so mm. perhaps it will develop in a in a different way.
1: Yeah. Um. Last thought, Graham. This is I went to see I went to the Everyman last night and uh, took out a mortgage to uh, go to the cinema. It's now so expensive, um, and we went to see Tar. Pounds? Oh yeah, so, I've
0: you, seen Tar.
1: You've seen Tar, yeah. Tar-tar, Which in Yorkshire, tar, yes. York, Yorkshire usually means thanks very much, but in a very brief way. So mm-hmm. what I wanted to just just in the last few minutes to reflect on is, you can you can see a film and not enjoy it, but know that mm-hmm. it's a really good film,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I kind of feel that Tar fell into that into that category.
0: Yeah, I I don't totally agree, but I, I can see what you mean.
1: It was well, did, did I? I mean, I guess one did connect with the characters within it. I just thought it depicted the music world in a pretty bleak way overall. And, yeah, but we uh, saw
0: the Stockhausen documentary then. Redemption we did, and that and now that is when we that, know how yes. page, how the yes. classic music world can work. We we see how once you're at the apex of the classic music world. Your ego can take over everything in your life. And
1: you and and it does eat up other people, doesn't it? Around around mm-hmm. them. It absolutely does that. And also we we saw within the Stockhausen one as well, um, the sexual side of it as well. How that that filtered into it very strongly, which it does in, in this well, in terms of relationships in this, um it's it's not Ooh. it's it's uh, so you enjoyed it more than I did.
0: I, I thought it was totally absorbing, fantastic acting, yes, it very good a characterization, mm. very good dialogue, and a good scenario. The only thing I had as the film got towards the end was, what point is this making? And it raised issues about gender, it raised yeah. issues about social media, it raised issues about culture wars. But in mm. no point did it then address any of those issues. And then the film, I thought, are we supposed to think that the classical conductor played by Kate Blanchett, who's head of the mm. Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra. Mm. Are we supposed to think she's in some way admirable overall in her life choices and her obsession with music and mm. her massive ego that is dedicated to that at ex- the expense of everything else? Or are we supposed to think she was a monster? Now, I know that it's good to leave things open, but I, I didn't eventually work out what the point of the film was except to be a good film.
1: I think that's a a very fair assessment. One of the things that struck me that's interesting that um, a Berlin conductor who is lesbian and has a child um, and led a Berlin orchestra has speculated that, that it would appear this story is rather too closely based on her, but not the side of the story where the points that you're making about whether the character is a monster mm. or whatever, obviously she would completely detach and disassociate from that. And I think that's really why she's rather questioned the film because people are putting two and two together and making trouble for her that's not, that's not fair. What I did also wonder with that, Graham, was were they masculine qualities? Were they the worst of male qualities that were being shown by the Lydia Tarr character? And I, or am I
0: reading something into it that's not there?
1: listening to the podcast Two Big Egos in a Small Car. Your
0: hosts were Graham Chalmers and Charles Hutchinson. This was a Baltic sub-production.